0: Hello, everyone. This is Learn to Listen, and thank you for joining us. Today, we have Dr. Nancy Michael, who is the Director of Undergrad Studies for Neuroscience and Behavior at Notre Dame, which is the major that I'm in, and she also is one of the professors for the neuroscience lab. So thank you, Dr. Michaels, for being here, and welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Um, so today, because of your advisory role for a lot of students and especially being a senior myself, I thought it would be great to kind of dive in and to see what advice you've given students across the years for this transition between undergrad and, you know, real life now. Um, so one of the best things you ever told me when I was meeting with you about, Um, seeing if I wanted to go to med school or grad school immediately after undergrad was to kind of postpone and really figure out if it was something that I wanted to do. Um, and that for me was really valuable because I feel like there is kind of this unspoken push to have to go right into schooling, Mm -hmm. um, after undergrad. And so I'm just curious, where did you kind of like find, um, that advice, like in your own life and throughout the years of advising students. Yeah.
1: Um, where did I, I mean, sure. I mean, definitely was definitely was um, informed by my own life. Right. Because because I had um, many years of just kind of trying to figure stuff out after undergrad. Um, and I and I know at this point. Right. Well, while it was I don't know unsettling like I don't know what the right word is right but but yeah like most of my friends were going on to graduate school or medical school or pharmacy school right you know what I mean some kind of professional um some kind of professional post-grad something um I just didn't know what I wanted to do right so I, I still took the exam like the GRE and I was thinking about going to graduate school um but I couldn't write anything down, right? Like you have to write like the letter of intent or the statement of purpose. And like like I didn't have any I didn't have any purpose. I didn't have anything to say. Like, like why should you accept me into your graduate program? I don't know. <laughs> Cause I don't know, I don't know what else to do. You know, like like I just couldn't I couldn't write anything. And so so I think that advice is definitely definitely inspired by by my own experience, but also watching the experiences of my friends who were pretty certain about what they wanted to do. Right. That like like it's your life. And unless you really know where you want to lean into, then take the time to find out where you want to lean into. Because if you if you feel pressured to make a choice about something before you're ready, right? It just it it doesn't end up working out very well. And especially in something like medical school, where it's like, right, <laughs> $50,000 to hundred thousand dollars a year for tuition, man. Like <laughs> that's not something you want to do and be uncertain about it, right? You don't want to get into year three and be like, hmm oops
0: yeah (laughs) so yeah yeah and I've been trying to think about this myself because I feel like I mean I obviously am very concentrated in the like realm of science and undergrad Um, but I don't know if it's specifically just tailored to science where there there is that kind of like oh if you don't go to professional school after it's like what did you do wrong in undergrad or you didn't do like you didn't work hard enough or don't have good enough grades I don't know if there's a direct parallel for other um, like colleges in undergrad I'm not sure if like from an advisory standpoint if you feel um, that really is a, like specific not I don't want to say issue but specific kind of stance that science yeah undergrad has.
1: Well, I think, I think too, I think it's a combination of, of kind of the predispositions of student interests that matriculate in as well as, as well as like Notre Dame college of science culture as well. You know what I mean? So I think, I think there's definitely more than one thing going on with that. Cause I think part of, part of Notre Dame recruitment in the sciences is like the medical school success rate, right? right. So, so like we definitely select for an admissions process or, or students who are interested in going to different undergraduate programs will opt into Notre Dame given their medical school success rate. Um, and so I think that those, all of these kinds of things, they just kind of snowball. Um, yeah. Cause they, I was, I was, and, and then, and then also too especially in the sciences right like like from a neuroscience perspective we can only make decisions about things that we know about right so students that like the sciences like what kind of careers are available in the sciences
0: med school (laughs) right yeah school. yeah (laughs) you
1: you can be a doctor you can go to grad school or you can be a science teacher and like like let's be honest right like like out of those three careers you know the doctor is like the most prestigious and most well paying and you guys are all super super bright right so like like there's like the academic rigor that that is absolutely appealing as well um and so i think right like like it's just i think a multi multi-factored thing that ends up being this really kind of goliath both explicit and implicit like you must go to medical school <laughs> that's not really it's not really a thing right which again it goes back to like so if you're not sure that's awesome like lean into that and figure out, cause there are lots of things that people can do in the sciences that we desperately need in yeah. communities and in culture um, that aren't doctors.
0: Right, yeah. And it's interesting too, cause you know, of course with grad, I've been reflecting Be like, oh my gosh, I remember this and that class and just talking to underclassmen on my team and stuff. So I definitely noticed the differences too through the years where like freshman year, of course, everyone's trying to prove themselves, trying to just stay afloat, like, absorbing all the new like novelties in undergrad but then sophomore year really hits and you're like academically trying to you know get the best grades you're like I have a I have my place here I know my friends and my community and whatnot but it was almost sophomore year I was like really trying to figure out what if I did want to go to graduate school after um, undergrad and sitting there you know as like a 19 year old and trying to like picture you know eight years or whatever in the future, yeah. I definitely noticed a difference where I was way less willing to be like, oh, maybe I don't want to go to professional school versus senior year. Now I feel like people are like, oh my God, I'm waiting like two years to go to med school. Like I'm taking <laughs> time. I'm going to just relax. And I think it is of course something, you know, you're more confident in yourself and you're almost done. So there's kind of that like carefree, you know, I did my, my time, um, mm-hmm. my four years in undergrad, but I'm also curious if, covid has something to do with that of people just being way more carefree so what do you think what have you seen um just like trends
1: yeah um so so i think covid really has uh even if you never got sick from covid right like it's definitely taken its toll i think it's changed people um i think i think the ways in which it i think it's and i and i would agree that i think it has to do with where you're at in your matriculation process right i think if you're further along in your matriculation process i think it really has allowed um, students like yourself like this opportunity to be like i'm good man like you know what i mean like i'm going to take some time i'm tired i'm going to you know like i'm going to i'm going to figure it out and i'm not in any pressure whereas the students that are earlier on in their matriculation it seems like it's caused just so much more stress because what what are what they're being told are the normal requirements and the normal expectations and the normal like, like resume builders and experiences. They haven't had access to a lot of those things in the last two oh, years. And so, so a lot of, of students in their earlier matriculation are actually really like, they're much, they seem to be at least the conversations that I've had with students on campus. Um, they're much more concerned about not being competitive. Oh, in interesting. Their, I hadn't yeah, thought about you know, that. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, we're like, from a from a faculty standpoint, I'm just really grateful that we got through it. Um, you know, like, I just, I think, but I think everybody, no matter what, everybody's tired, right? And so I think, you know, I've been having conversations with community partners, um, and I have one kind of, kind of collaborator down at uh, the health department too, just in terms of like, like this last year and a half has impacted everybody so differently right mm-hmm. um and and they we can't just we can't just have mask orders expire and expect that everything is healed right like and expect that everything is fine and so like like what are the what are the intentional steps right to like kind of require recover from this remarkable immense exhaustion and also kind of like alleviate fears of not being able to do the normal stuff. Um, you know, I mean, yeah. The, I, so, yeah. so yes, I think, I think COVID has had a huge impact, not just on like respiratory function.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah not just on the physical. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'd love to honestly dive into that and talk about like the different impacts. Cause I think obviously COVID has framed a lot of the past year and a half. Right. Um, yeah but kind of like discuss like possible steps that you've been discussing with that um, like affiliate at the health center. Cause I feel like that will even just like discussing like things we can do and how we can be intentful in what we're doing next to progress. And like, you know, now we don't the mass mandate, like it's being lifted, but just like really getting back to that normalcy and what we can do. I think that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so I think it starts with just like a, like a I don't know, like honesty, right? Like, like regardless of how anybody feels about COVID, right? Like the, the the reality is kind of within this country or within any community, right? The 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 spectrum ranges from like it's a farce, it right. never really was a thing, all the way to people that are they won't they don't want to breathe fresh air anymore. They won't leave their house, ha- you know what I mean? And so like 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 an, and so so then how do you so how do you how do you start a conversation to bring people back together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think much more immediate in in terms of like the work that I do and community partnerships and things like that, um, really the impact on children and families, right? So, right? so so all of these public health measures were put into place to protect against the spread and of a of a respiratory virus and keep from overwhelming the medical system. But in doing so, right, we have, we have families that have been put in terrible economic situations, have lost their homes, right? Students have been working, again, depending on the community. And so this is, again, part of that massive variability that exists depending on where you're at, like literally your geographic location, right? What like kind of access to, uh, to schools did your, did your kids have? How old are your kids? One of the things that I learned um, last March when we first shut down, so I have a, at that time I had a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. So a first grader and a fourth grader when we shut down. Um, and I learned very, very quickly that I don't know how to teach somebody how to read. Right. Like, like, like yeah. I can teach college students who have all of that kind of prerequisite cognitive framework mm-hmm. when I you know what I mean? And like, like I can do that all of that prerequisite stuff, how do you teach somebody how to read? I have no idea. I, right? would, like, yeah. <laughs> I got nothing, right? Like a phoneme and vowel teams and diphthongs and like all of these different things, digraphs. And like, we were diagramming words and I was like, I don't remember ever doing this. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> i never learned this stuff. So. <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Like people always talk about like, they changed math. There's all this new math. So there's not only new math, but like literally when I, I just remember learning how to read, and I, I feel like we just had to memorize stuff. Like, I don't remember yeah, any closed vowels and open vowels and all these things. I'm I have so Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. For <laughs> my fourth grader, right, she was far enough along that she was pretty well independent, mm-hmm. right? She would get frustrated and stuff, but like her questions were much more about like, I don't understand what this question means in the context of this passage. Yeah, Right. I can help with that right so we have a generation so how do so how do what conversations do we have, how do we support schools, how do we support teachers, how do we support families how do we support kiddos. reintroducing them not only to like what school looks like but really so many so many families and children have been so isolated so how do you right. how do you first right and this is really hard in an academic setting how do you first reintroduce socialization and reestablish right again so this this kind of spectra of farce to paranoia how do you reestablish that a classroom is a safe place to be mm-hmm. how do you reestablish that it's not only a good thing like not only safe but like actually necessary for human health and well-being to be able to give somebody a hug without a mask on. Right. Like, so, I mean, it, it, and again, having a mask order expire doesn't do any of those things. Yeah. Right. So how do we be really intentional? How do, you know, how do we kind of unpack in terms of like all you neuroscience and behavior (laughs) majors that that might be listening. Right. So how do you, how do you, how do you take what you understand about like plasticity and and emotional salience, and context learning, and and really think about the impact of the last year and a half on nervous system, and right. you know, interpretation of environment and behavior, and and again, in terms of not like these stimulus response behaviors and physiological responses that have been created over the last year and a half, mm-hmm. right? Like some of them might be helpful, many of them probably aren't, right? Yeah in the context of like reopening strategy
0: yeah like i definitely had air quotes around
1: that reopening <laughs> strategy right like like in, in these conversations i don't think are part of reopening strategy in you know maybe within schools yeah but how do communities mm-hmm. support that effort right because if kiddos aren't healthy and if families aren't healthy communities aren't healthy
0: right yeah that's, that's what honestly, like honestly thinking about it myself that is one of my worries is that it's just gonna kind of like be like left up to every person themselves of to yeah. how they're gonna navigate yeah you know finding their way back and maybe like the friends they unfortunately lost due to covid or the family they didn't see or anything like that and of course i don't really think the government is gonna of course make any policies about that and mm-hmm. really give resources to people so it's going to come down to those communities and like the schools and possibly like the local YMCA stuff like that where that's where majority of people are going to find those resources or unfortunately not find them and need them Um, so I think and now we're we're starting to see like of course masks like the mask mandate being lifted but really I think the biggest hurdle is going to be like erasing that anxiety of many people being, or that even, even the guilt of feeling like, oh, there's more than, you know, 10 people here, like, yeah. erasing kind of that new and weird feeling of, oh, like, I shouldn't be here. I should remove myself from this situation because right. there's so many people here, but now it's, it's okay. Or, right. you know, like we're getting back to normal. Um,
1: yeah. and I don't yeah.
0: if we have any answers for that, honestly. Yeah. Other than, right. And so, so
1: I think, I think you have articulated so well, right. Like, like the plasticity that really has taken place in the last year and a half, because, because Christmas 2019, it wouldn't be a big deal. Right. right? But then, you know, like news started to trickle in and parent right. Like we all started getting worried and now it is right. And so, and so it is, it is the unlearning of, the anxiety associated with or the fear associated with or the uncertainty associated with these social settings and again from a from a human nervous system health and well-being standpoint right the only thing that i right like we need people
0: yeah
1: you know what i mean yeah. i think that's another, anything
0: we've learned yeah we need yeah people.
1: yeah yeah a universal lesson right uh-huh. is that, like it's it's really really clear that we've all like felt to our core the absence of being able to like Embrace and even like something as as silly or whatever as like I was so grateful for the opportunity to be on campus but not being able to see students faces yeah right like there's so much information we get about communication and and connectedness from a facial expression but a facial expression in real life because it's not just somebody's face but it's like all of the information body that you language get. and
0: everything exactly
1: yeah 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 um so when you start to feel those things, right, it's it's much more a matter of the like the top down regulation than mm-hmm. to say like oh wait a second, <laughs> check yourself amygdala, right? You know what I mean? Like like and just be like no 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 like like this entire crowd, right? So for example, we have the senior picture tomorrow, and yeah. don't think I haven't done that exact same thing. Like do we wear do we wear masks just because we're used to wearing masks? But then the email came out Friday and was like,
0: do it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: yeah. And so, and so kind of knowing that going into it, just really having to be intentional with myself that like, it really is an opportunity for joy and celebration. And like, I will give anybody that wants a hug. I'll ask you, but yeah. anybody
0: that wants a hug, man, I'm vaccinated. You're vaccinated. Like let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think I like the best thing I found for myself and just friends is definitely catching myself in the moment of being like, Oh, you know, like walking into a restaurant or being like surrounded by more students outside and without masks on, it's like, Oh my gosh, it's so weird. Like to finally see people yeah. out there masks on, um, and just like, you know, not to kind of like have to like sneak around, like with like a picture, be like, Oh, take your mask off really quick. And then put right. it back on, you know, like mm-hmm. everyone did it. Yeah. You're just like, mm-hmm. you, like rip it off, hold it out yeah. of the picture for like a <laughs> second. And then, okay. Everyone put it back on. Um. And, you know, of course it's, there's a little bit of like a joke in that, but there's a lot behind, you know, just even taking that mask off. Um, and I think a lot too, like in, as in addition to anxiety, at least this is what I've talked to my friends about is guilt too, that kind of surrounds COVID and you know, how you navigate it, whether it is like wherever you fall on that spectrum, I think, especially as a student and senior wanting to see people and, um, whatnot, kind of having to erase that guilt of being like, oh, I can see my friends now um, and, you know, get back to normal activities and not have to be super, super aware of, yeah. you know, the cleanliness of everything and cleaning, like wherever you go, wherever you touch, you know, like hand sanitizer 24 seven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious from an advisor's point of view, or even just like in the neuro um, community, like what, I guess, how do we navigate the guilt aspect of that? You know, like it, it has to do with that neural plasticity, but kind of yeah. like reframing, reworking it. Um, so that hopefully it's a thing in the past.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I i, I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. I think that was, we had, Um, it was an informal gathering of under 25 people, right? <laughs> so the senior leadership from this year and the senior leadership that will, will step up mm-hmm. for, for next year, total of 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for anybody, right? yeah, you're um, like right. Still outside. <laughs> we were outside. We ate outside. Anyway, they they came they came down to the house. And so one of the things that like we talked about with next year's class is that like, like, what do we what do we even do, mm-hmm. right? Because so so just to kind of a little bit more context, we no longer have students. So in historically, right, our senior class would offer peer advising to the sophomore class for abroad studies, right we don't have that anymore right like nobody's been abroad yeah um, we our, our rising juniors have never been on campus it's crazy for a whole academic year without being impacted right yeah. so our rising seniors are the only class that that has been on campus in like the before times <laughs> yeah right? had, had an entire academic year of of before time exposure and experience and so, so, that's a great question. And that's what I asked him because, like, like I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the answers are right now. I know that we need to do something, many things. Um, but I think one of the things that I have, it remains an open question that I've struggled with. That I can't, I can't figure out what the right answer, or the right path forward is. Um, is is this whole like, kind of mentorship, trusting relationship thing? Anyway, right? Like, yeah. How do you? How do you? Right? Because Notre Dame has such a a powerful culture of academic excellence, Mm -hmm. and so much of what we talk about is around academic excellence, and providing opportunities and everything. Um, But like, like, like we're talking about anxiety and guilt around socialization. yeah how do you how do you almost do not really an about face because the academic stuff isn't going anywhere right Mm -hmm. but like how do you really shift expand on right what the what the major provides to really try to address in earnest and with humility like the real issues of mental health that exist so prevalently yeah. on campus, right because because even even in the before times right like like it's no secret that that anxiety and depression and substance use are issues on campus right like yeah those are issues on campus mm-hmm. um issues for our, our students probably issues for our fat right like issues for people um and then just just kind of kind of redoubled with all of the all of the additional stressors of the last year and a half right um, that's a long way to say that, that I don't really know. Right. Like I'm trying to figure it out. Right. So if anybody listening has ideas, right. Yeah. Like, like quite seriously, like, like I just, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. Mm
0: -hmm. because I don't know
1: what people are going to need other than needs are greater.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think COVID, one of the things that I've seen is just like a greater, I mean, in some aspects, right. But just a greater increase in empathy for those who did struggle with me- mental health before mm-hmm. the pandemic, because mm-hmm. I think now everyone feeling that like sol- solitude and not being, not having that freedom to, you know, go see the people they need to see like their support system. Yeah. Yeah. I think now a lot more people have sympathy and maybe even had some mental health struggles through the pandemic that they're now going to, you know, probably experience until we can figure out the right resources for people to get rid of that, like all the emotions surrounding socialization now. Um, And I think in one way, it's been a bonding experience almost for, I know, especially like the senior class, everyone now is just kind of leaving is like there isn't any more room for that drama or anything that happens you know when you're younger um but everyone's just like so much more willing to you know talk to everyone meet people like whenever they can it's like you're kind of just grasping at any opportunity because there is that sense of missing out like having you know a year and a half of normalcy just kind of taken away um and I think it'll be interesting especially It's great timing, of course, with graduation coming up and the mask mandate being lifted. And now people, 90% of our undergrad is vaccinated. So Mm -hmm. I'm super proud of our community for doing that, but I was unsure um, if it would actually happen. But of course, now I know people are saying, oh, we have senior week and we can do our senior social. And that's so great. But I just, I know that more often than not, there's going to be a lot of classmates and a lot of people in our community that are super stressed. Because now, even if you have gotten over the anxious part or the guilty part about being with more people there's still that oh my god like that overwhelming fear that you're now awkward because you haven't seen these people for so long right so everyone's like oh my gosh it's like a reunion even though I've been like in this community probably living right next door to them but I just haven't seen them and a lot of that too is attributed to moving off campus and not seeing people just in and around walking and at the dining halls and stuff like that but I think that's also a very interesting nuance where you know maybe you'll get over those like more internal feelings and emotions and then you also have to get over like the um like worry that you yourself you're like oh my gosh everyone's thinking I'm like being so weird or silent or whatever but really Uh everyone the irony in it is everyone is like oh my gosh what am I like what am I even talking about you know Uh um so I think that that's going to be also another kind of hurdle yeah
1: so I have a a question for you related to that then Uh like this is this is a running joke that I have with myself Yeah. So when people ask you the question, like, you know, when you're walking on campus, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Right. In a matter of like two seconds when you're walking back and like past. Right. Right. Clearly, like I always am like, well, that just tells people that you don't actually really care. Right. So it's like this really, really strong cultural thing that implicitly says, like, I don't really want to hear what you have to say because I clearly don't have the time to listen. Uh So my question, given that, do you think people will be honest then? Or do you think it'll just like you know what I mean? Like, do we have a choice? Do we have a choice to be like, okay, when somebody asks me how I'm doing them, I have the opportunity to be like, you know what, Mariah, I'm really tired. I have never felt so burnt out in my entire lifetime. And the moment commencement is done, I'm gonna come home and I'm gonna stare out into my backyard for like three days.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> right? so That's a really good question, honestly. And I know it'll definitely, I think what will change people's answers or what they'll do is definitely their temperament. Cause mm-hmm. myself, I very much am like, op, like, optimistic, optimistic, and want to hear people. So usually, I'll be like, "Oh my gosh, no! Tell me the honest answer, right?" Like, I want to hear yeah. like you're tired and you're gonna go, go home after the um, <laughs> week of grad and just sit and do nothing. <laughs> totally understand that. Um, but I know my response personally will probably be like oh my God, I'm just so excited to see you. I'm just gonna, like my immediate response, even if I am tired, I'm just gonna be like, oh my God, I'm so good. This is what I've been up to. And I usually <laughs> tend towards the positive things before uh-huh. the negative things. Um, So I think that will be my response. I think people are way more um, curious about what everyone is doing just because of the fact that we are leaving. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, you know, I can't even keep up with Instagram updates and stuff like that, but like fine and like LinkedIn too, like, Oh my gosh, this person got this job and they're doing this after grad they're doing, you know, this service trip or they're going to this school doing research whatever it is. So when I see someone I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I actually like want to know what are you going to be doing for the next, yeah. you know, however many um, months." But I think it will be people are going to be probably trending towards just being like, "Oh my god, I'm so good. How are you? I'm so excited for graduation." Like, uh-huh. you know, cuz I think that's what they think they're probably supposed to say too. Um, but I feel like people at, especially the more senior events will probably just be so happy and, you know, mm-hmm. um, grateful that we're having just something, yeah. <laughs> but people are probably going to just kind of ride off of that high energy, you know, Yeah. but it'll be, it'll be interesting for sure. Um, and super fun. I'm really excited. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Mm-hmm. um I'd love to kind of circle back to because we've been talking a lot about undergrad and students especially but what have you seen trends across like the South Bend community um with the impacts of COVID and I'm also curious if you know we think a lot of research is going to come out about trends within the pandemic um,
1: yeah yeah so so I think I mean i answer the first one second, second part for like, like, so, so yes, clearly, right. There, there's, there's going to be research. There's going to be data. There's going to write, but, but trends, trends in the community. I think, I think what I would like to suggest is that like, we don't have to wait for papers to be published to like, ask somebody at the health department or ask somebody in family services or you know what I mean? Like what's been happening and how do we respond now? Because we don't, we don't have to wait for the peer review process, right? Like yeah. we're all parts of communities and we're all, we're all community members and we can all, get engaged now right okay so so as part of reopening strategy like how do we how do we support families and so so trends just like beliefs about COVID, i think i think that's this a similar right in which which also makes it makes it a more challenging conversation or not challenging it also requires us to be much more thoughtful in the conversation Mm -hmm. um because there's going to be just as much diversity of experience in terms of how your you and your family weathered the last year and a half as there is beliefs about what coronavirus is anyway, right? So so within the community, um, we have people who are totally fine, right? Like, um, and we have people who lost their jobs, lost their housing, you know, um, numbers wise, right? Yeah. We have one of the three school districts that was virtual and I think they went back in mid-March or early April, right? Um, I'm not too sure about Mishawaka. I think that they were virtual or hybrid um, and Penn, um, I know the most. that's where my kids go, that, so I know the most, most about what happened to Penn. Uh, they were virtual for the first month and then at the, the elementary school, Penn Elementary, they, at the elementary school level, right? My kids were able to be in person since middle of September. The junior high was, you know, they would switch days. Like, so they'd have half the students right. on school one day, the next, you know, back and forth. So only a couple of days a week. Then they went virtual for like a month or two over the winter break and came back in January. Um, so from, right. So consistency of schooling, right. And then within that, within that consistency or inconsistency, then you have access, right. So families with or without broadband internet, families with or without devices, right? Um, the districts that my kids go to are, um, they're lucky enough that if the, the students didn't have devices, they were able to give the students Chromebooks that the students could take with them. Um, that's not necessarily the case all over the country, right? So like, okay. right? And you know, so so do you have a device? Do you have broadband? Did you have a parent that was able to, right? Like not even a parent, but like, was there somebody there that you could ask for help if you needed help? Or were your parents, you know, frontline workers or critical resource support or infrastructure support? And so you were, you know, so who knows what education looks like, right? The difference between emerging learners versus like learners who already know how to read the the tagline, tagline. The saying that I learned is um, from, from my kid's school is that, like K through three is learning to read Mm -hmm. and then like above that is reading to learn right so like that's that's a really giant difference in in framework and so so again like joke I made earlier I don't know how to teach somebody how to read right so there's a generation of kids that that may or may not have had somebody at home with them that knows how to teach somebody to read yeah right like oops and then, right, the adolescence. What adolescents need, right? There's social salience shifts that occur during adolescence that are necessary neurobiologically. Mm-hmm. And so we have we have teenagers who have been incredibly, right. So I worry the most for our teenagers.
0: Yeah,
1: um, and the isolation and the impact of like depression and anxiety and substance use kinds of things. Um, I know I know three people who have taken their own life, and right, like they didn't die of COVID, but they they died of a side effect of of social isolation of you know um i know statistically speaking uh domestic violence skyrocketed um in this community uh substance use and suicidal ideation calls have have gone and treatments and calls have gone gone up um right we've seen a lot more violence in the community which can be kind of traced back to like like economic instability kinds of things right like we can say like yes gun violence and and i'm not condoning gun violence but like like if you look at economic opportunity and access and right like all of the stability factors Mm -hmm. um those have just been kind of upended um so again really long answer we can wait for papers to be published about the impact of covid but like just ask somebody
0: yeah we're seeing it
1: Yeah. Like, like, like it's clear that it, that it's, that it's had, had an impact, right? Like well beyond a respiratory virus. Mm -hmm. And so, and so what conversations are necessary? How do you use your skills to engage wherever you go? Right. After you, you know, wherever you go, how do you use your skills to engage in your community where you're at just to kind of like help and support and elevate and listen? And, you know, I mean, I can, especially, I'm super biased about neuroscience, but like like understanding that neuroplasticity is a thing and that fear and isolation have real impacts on not only brain and behavior, but also like the medical physiology, right? That's why social determinants are really social correlates, right? It's because all this environmental stuff and stress dose shifts physiology, right? And and again, it's not determinant at all, it's correlative. And one of the best ways that we can help heal is by showing up in earnest for other people, right? Like, mm-hmm. so
0: yeah, I think a, like a more we were talking about earlier, like even just policies or things we can do to be intentful. And I think a proactive approach, much rather, um, yeah, rather than a reactive approach, yeah. is I think something as a nation we need, and honestly, globally we need because, like you said, there's depending on what age you've like what age group you've been in while COVID has hit. There's just so much variability in what you need. You know, some of it's educational, some of it's social, some of it's economic. So it's like, it's, it's such a huge monster to tackle, honestly. And I'm, I'm expecting to see schools, honestly, having to, especially with kids, having to be the barrier or the um, accessibility point for all these students, because, you know, say you have students who didn't learn how to read, right? But then some students did. So even within these age groups, there's so much variability, let alone if you like look at, you know, first graders compared to sixth graders, um, there's gonna be differences obviously in their reading abilities. But if you never have those building blocks, now we have to go back, you know? And so it's gonna slow the progress or change it. So much to a point. So it's like every, we need tailored almost probably individual aspects of it, but that's going to overwhelm the school systems because, right, like they're trying to deal with how to get everyone safe in the classroom right now, let alone trying to have all these additional resources um, that, you know, underprivileged communities will not be getting. And those are probably the communities that need them the most. and I think yeah. that's one of the most tragic aspects of the pandemic, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think I think it really um I think we as a as a society or as a culture often uh, turn to the public education system mm-hmm. as like the the way to fix everything right. and what we blame also for the way that, right? Like and and my my hope is is that. Is that, yeah, so, so public education, I think, is the, the greatest point of access, right? Mm-hmm. That, right, like what an incredible experiment of education that this country has done. And like, I'm not saying that it's perfect, but it is, it is this amazing, incredible promise to children at large, right? Yeah. Um, but we as community members and as caregivers can't abnegate our responsibility in care because of the the public education system is there right and i think that's often what we do um it's it's not the school's job to fix it right it's our job to support our kids and our job to support our communities and our job to support our schools and our teachers because they really they really are like the heroes in all of this right with i mean like teachers are amazing like k-12 early childhood teachers oh my
0: gosh my gosh
1: right like they have the most important jobs Mm -hmm. in the country arguably right like because because without without access to kind of a a loving place to go to learn right and and most yeah and again like i don't know i just i just think teachers get so much flack And are blamed for so much, but man, they, I just think like now is the time for like everybody, whether or not you have kids in the district, whatever district you live in, just be like, okay, how can I help, man? Like, what do you need me to do? I can be a classroom volunteer. I can come in and read with kids. Like, what do you need? And how, how can I help?
0: Yeah. I'm hoping, you know, all the parents and the siblings who are trying to help teach their younger, um, you know, their (laughs) younglings now they probably have much more appreciation for teachers Um, yeah and even I was babysitting as well and I was like oh my gosh I should be able to teach you know this simple math but the things they're saying it's just I'm like oh my gosh it's so foreign to me now yeah um yeah because you assume right
1: again like like I think so much of the time when we think about teaching we assume all of the like the similar framework that we have right so like I would use the words that make sense in my world but like that doesn't work with a five-year-old yeah. or a seven-year-old or, you know, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing that you can, you can teach somebody all of those abstract things that need to exist in synaptic architecture to be mm-hmm. able to understand what a number is in the first place and that it represents a value. And then you can manipulate that. Yeah, Like,
0: we, you know,
1: it never even occurred to me that you had to do, just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you have to do what now? <laughs> you mean you can't yeah. just
0: add? <laughs> uh-huh. And like in terms too you know Uh, mm -hmm. yeah so that's honestly that's a great um if like people are looking of how to be intentful and help communities like be um restored is to volunteer time in schools um because i think that will alleviate hopefully some of the stress yeah i think schools are gonna be feeling or already are feeling
1: Yeah. Or, or community centers or big brothers, big sisters or yeah. boys and girls club, you know, like, like there are so many, there are so many ways or there, yeah, there, there's so many, and, and everybody, everybody has a skill, right? Like I remember sitting in, um, a, it was like a community. I don't know what it would be community capacity building meeting at one point in time, um, where this woman, um, from the ACE interface named Laura Porter was giving a talk about community capacity building, right? And so they had these brainstorming sessions, um, and then there was this woman. She told the story of this woman who was a, a retired, an older retired woman who, you know, completed high school, didn't have a college, and was just. She's like, I really want to be able to do something, but, but like in her mind, she was like, but I don't, I don't have anything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like in her mind, she didn't have any skills to offer, right? And like so, meeting goes on and whatever, whatever. And at some point later on, the woman stands up. She's like, I've got it. right she's a grandparents to go right and and so in unpacking what that idea was right and it made me cry because as somebody who's transplanted to this area we don't have we don't have family we don't have right like the only people that I know here are also other working professionals that also struggle with daycare and sick kids and you know we don't have we don't have the support network in place for that um but the idea with grandparents to go so that like if somebody needed child care, right? So like they, it was it, so that she created this community network of retired individuals that still wanted to be around kids and be engaged with families that also maybe didn't have their families in the immediate area. They were background checked. They worked, they created a partnership with the police department. They were background checked. They would come in to get a house like somebody would come in to evaluate the safety of their house. And so like, you know what I mean? Like it was a really yeah. legit or became a really legit thing. And it was just because she want, like, I'm gonna cry again. Like I cry every time I think about it, like just because she wanted help. Right. And she right. had an idea and the, and there was enough communication that existed in a collaborative spirit in that community that allowed it to become a reality. Right. Right. Um, you know, cause like, I think that's, I think that's what so many caregivers um, struggle with so much is that they just, when they're not able to take care of the people that they love, you just, you just want to know that, they will be loved Mm -hmm. by whoever they are being cared for you know like I don't know that's such
0: I mean that is it's gonna make almost make me cry right like (laughs) such a a good um wholesome idea honestly it should be a thing nationwide grandparents yeah right (laughs) yeah um especially for everybody yeah yeah, exactly. I mean, I I know some people don't like spending time with kids, but I, I've always been around kids like babysitting, camps, whatnot at home. And it exactly. is a really different environment, yeah. you know, being at college and not kind of seeing kids walk around the neighborhood and like on their bikes and, you know, yeah. like just being, you know, fun little characters. Um, so I think that is a great, great idea. Um, you know, finding those little pockets or those little niches that, you know, before you're like, oh, you don't even know you're missing it. But then once you hear an idea like that, you're like, oh my gosh, how have we not thought about that, right? Right. Um, so that's a great example. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. yeah. And just to just to illustrate like, that it doesn't have to be, like everybody has something that they can contribute, right? Like mm-hmm. like you don't have to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever, like that, that you know, that every, mm-hmm. everybody's got something they can contribute and, and in a collaborative environment, right? And I think that that's, where like, we all need to just kind of like go forth with a little bit of humility, right? That like, like, I don't know what the answers are going forward. Yeah. We really don't, right? Like, I know that, I know that what we have now is not a place I feel good about leaving for my kids. Right. You know, and so how do I be a part of kind of creating that collaboration? How do I, how do I listen? How do I, you know, like, like check myself. Right to know when I need to listen because, because I don't, I don't have the answers, right? All I know about is neuroscience.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It. I wouldn't yeah. say all you know about is neuroscience, sure. but <laughs> definitely an area of expertise. for Sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean that, as I've said before, like that was part of my mission with learn to listen and just, you know, creating an environment and kind of forcing myself, honestly, to explore and um, like have these reasons to listen to other people and to kind of like help foster some of that connectedness we've lost because of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, being neuro myself, I understand like neuronal plasticity and the educational side of that. And, you know, so when I'm struggling, I'm like, Oh no, I can change how I'm perceiving the world. But I think that gets lost in a lot of people because, you know, if you don't academically study neuroscience and how our neurons are actually changing, um, why would you ever know about this unless, you know, you take it upon yourself to learn? So I think that's one of the most, you know, valuable things I'll take with me. Um, But I even struggle and I wonder if you have any um, ideas about this, but like the most effective way as we are trying to through this pandemic and um erase those feelings or those emotions about um guilt and anxiety and everything that comes along with you know being in basically isolation for the past year and a half the best way to you know rewire our approaches and our thoughts um to like socialization i just yeah
1: yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's a best way because, because everybody, everybody's different, right? Like, you know, there are some people that are going to be, like you said, right? Like the senior class might be like rejoicing to be able to come back together for like the last week without like restrictions. Right. Um, and that approach is going to be, is going to be really, really different. But I think, I think if there could be one universal, which might not be, but just like like the intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. That like whether you're approaching it from like a space of like overwhelming joy or tremendous fear, just being really intentional in in right on the on the anxiety side of things, just right that that you're able to be intentional about maybe like reviewing what we know, mm-hmm. right? And in fully right, like fully vaccinated crowds, right? Like we now at the level of like what we've always accepted as, as normal, acceptable risk. Like it's actually, you're taking more of a risk to get into your car to drive anywhere than you would be walking around, you know, like doing all the things that we did in the before times, right? Um, but then also just being really intentional and in, in enjoy, like, I hope one of the things that we can take for forever is just being really intentional in, in enjoying the joy that we experience when we are able to come together and like even mundane things like going to class. Yeah. Be taken for granted. Uh-huh. You know? I,
0: yes, I definitely feel that, you know, like <laughs> all those like early 8am classes. I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to lug myself all the way over camp, uh-huh. like, opposite side of campus in the snow, <laughs> then, you know, like trying to not fall asleep in the classroom you know, I don't think I'll ever, I I don't think I'll ever, um, you know, not be grateful for those opportunities to be in the classroom with the people who are also right. doing the same thing, right? So there's right. A community in that where you're like, okay, yes, I'm going to go to class now and yep. or even like meetings, whatever. Um, but, you know, there's a little bit more of a a peacefulness, <laughs> I guess, knowing that, yeah. you're like, oh, I can do these things, right? Yeah, it's always yeah. Grass, always greener, like,
1: <laughs> yeah. That yeah. uh, it really, yeah, it is. It really is. It really is like a, like an opportunity or a luxury. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I got, Yeah. So, 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 just being intentional, and that can be intentional in preparation if that's what you need, or intentional in the reflection. But I think, I think, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. intentionality.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great um, kind of thing to hold on to, and. I'll definitely take that um, with me, (laughs) you know, as (laughs) through grad week, (laughs) have all these, you know, the little moments where you kind of sit back and you're like, oh my gosh, like, this is so nice. Mm -hmm. Those are going way more (laughs) (laughs) for myself and I hope for a lot of other people. Um, But it's been so great um, chatting with you. And I've loved this. Thank you again for coming Mm -hmm. on the podcast, you know, sharing your advice um, and really expertise. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is super fun. Thank you so much.